Lucky number two. Welcome, all you litwits, to another episode of The Library Game, an eclectically indecisive book club where we help you through a random method of deciding that oh-so-terrible question, what do I read next? I'm Amy. I'm Lacey. And we are your guides through the maze of stacks and stacks and stacks of your library shelves using what we like to call the RSSB coordinates. However, this time we are not choosing random numbers that represent row, section, shelf, and book. No, we (laughs) are taking you on what we like to call a strange encounter. (laughs) Out in the wild, we came across a book. It's going to be fun, I think, to read this book that we randomly encountered with a stranger in the wild. So, Lacey, tell us about how this happened. So, this book... Amy and I actually both got to be present for the, quote, strange encounter. We were at a Comic-Con with my daughter, and walking through the vendor hall, there was a man and his wife there selling books that he had written. So we stopped and talked with them for a little while, explained to them about the podcast, and then said, well, let's do a mini library game. And we actually did play. Yeah, we did. That's true. Yeah three or four books that he had available to purchase. So the RSSB, I believe, is two. <laughs> so, so what book did we pick? We picked The Janus Witch. And I do want me to go straight into our by the cover assessment. Yeah, so The Janus Witch by Michael Scott Clifton. Oh, yes, sorry. By Michael Scott Clifton. Not of other Michael Scott notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> you miss 100% of the books you don't write. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott, Michael Scott Clifton. (laughs) So we're going to do that thing that you're not supposed to do. We're going to judge this book by its cover. So Lacey, tell us about the cover of this book. All right. So the Janus Witch is in a white, very like spirally font. It's really pretty. And Mm -hmm. behind that, we have a close up of a woman's face. Her face is extremely white. It's very blown Mm -hmm. out it's like the contrast has been bumped way up high on the picture so imagine Mm -hmm. that when you're looking at a photo um and then she's got really dark lipstick on it might be a black and white photo even so it could be red lipstick and it's black and white or like the colors Mm -hmm. desaturated Mm -hmm. she's got pretty heavy smoky eye makeup and her eyes are closed and she's got her face tilted up to the sky and then there's like a veil over her face like a white tool kind of thing You can barely see it, but it's just covering her face. And Mm -hmm. then she's sort of superimposed over, I don't even know what's going on there. There's maybe clouds or a galaxy or something. And then there's a flock of birds hidden up where her hair is. Maybe like a sunset behind like really like big clouds. There's kind of an orangey red color behind it like a sunset basically with like these big puffy stormy looking clouds in front of it yeah and then yeah some barely kind of seen flock of white birds and the whole thing also has sort of a a, again like an overlay of aging sort of you know Mm, the the mm -hmm. picture looks like it's maybe crumpled and then there's spots where it's 
the sun is bleached mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah. There's kind of a lot going on. Yeah, it, it almost has the old-timey film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Vaudeville style looking. It has like an antique vibe yeah. to it. That's a good way to put yeah. it. Which is interesting because I will say I did read the top line on here, so I'm going to include that in our assessment. Mm-hmm. It says magical fantasy yeah. with a modern twist. So yeah. the fact that it looks antique but it's a modern story is interesting. So that's kind of already starting to kind of give me some ideas here. So do we want to go into some some predictions of what, what this might be about? Yeah, let's hear what you got. Well, okay, so I don't have like anything solid yet, but what I am getting is almost this like clash of old and new, right? We are told magic, fantasy, the word witch is in the title. So I'm I'm almost thinking that we're going to have some kind of clash of like maybe like old world occulty kind of like traditions and expectations and things like that coming up against modern times. So I don't really know what Janice is coming into this. Also, I remember firstly, like when I pulled this book out and I looked at it again, I was like, because I put it away because I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to be tempted to accidentally read the back or, you know, anything like that. I do not have a lot of (laughs) self-control. So I have to hide things from myself if I want to keep myself from spoiling things. And when I pulled it out, I looked at it and I went, Janus? <laughs> the Janus witch? But anyway, um, so my prediction is going to be a young woman. I can't decide if she knows or not whether she's a witch. I'm going to say that she doesn't actually know until she comes into her power and she is initiated into this basically like a coven or like a secret society of witches or you know whatever and she struggles with accepting this part of herself while maintaining her self-identity and somehow trying to balance these expectations of like no you're a witch so you have to do things this way now but i'm a modern woman and i want to play xbox (laughs) i don't know (laughs) like that's where i'm landing at with this like magical fantasy with a modern twist interesting okay and the way that her face looks in this i'm like there's sexy vibes there are for sure like there's sexy vibes here and and like honestly after reading our last book i am hopeful but also i'm trying to temper my (laughs) expectations I want to say that we were given a slight, as the author was laying the books out before us, and we explained what we were Mm. going to do, I think this is the one that he was like, are you sure that you want to choose (laughs) that one? I don't quite remember that, but that makes me happy. (laughs) So my take, I'm going to say, because she does look so old world. I'm going to say it's like a case of she's been reawoken. Ooh, okay. Right. Yeah. So either she's she was like trapped in an object or something and somebody has now released her like a genie kind of thing or mm. she was asleep. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's a sleeping beauty kind of thing. Well, and the veil kind of almost gives that like death vibes, you know. What if it's one yeah. of those like story tales retold so it's sleeping beauty but sleeping beauty was a witch? Uh-huh. I don't know. That would be an interesting vibe. I do think there's some sort of sexy things going. And I really was, because she's so pale, I was thinking, maybe this is our vampires. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> what cracks me up is that we have come around to you being hopeful for vampires I, I, at this I, point. It's, 
the expectation is so high that I just want it to happen now. You know, it's like when you're afraid yeah. of something happening and you're just kind of like, I just let's just get it over with. <laughs> it's like you're on the verge of a sneeze all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like- I'm just, I'm just edging with the books we're choosing <laughs> to oh get God. to the vampire. Oh <laughs> do, do you want to read what the book's actually about or should I? <laughs> no, I want to okay. read it. So we have a little snippet here at the top on the back that I'll read first. It says, a beautiful witch with a violent past forms an unlikely love affair with a compassionate young doctor until she fears she may end up killing him. Bitch, I'm hooked. <laughs> Let's go. Tress Elaine is a member of a murderous witch's coven. An attack by witch hunters forces the coven to escape through a hastily constructed portal of magic. Hey! All right. Okay. Ripped from her medieval world, the portal hurls Tress Elaine and the coven's leader, Morgana, into present-day East Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to end well for them. <laughs> Did you just turn into Mario? Shut up. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Critically injured in the passage, Tresselaine awakes in a hospital with no memory of her previous life. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Lucas Beckett finds himself in charge of the mysterious patient's recuperation and soon develops more than just a medical interest in her recovery. Gross. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, their blossoming relationship is marred by Tresselaine's nightmarish flashbacks and uncontrolled manifestations of magic. Can their life together survive this collision of past and present? As Tresselaine's struggles continue, other threats emerge to loom over the young couple, and the stage is set for a final confrontation. Murderous intent, or love and devotion. Only one can survive, and the Janus Witch must decide. Amy, I think this book was fucking written for you. You've been wanting (laughs) this Hallmark love story steamy shit, but this is like meets fantasy realm. It's it's the fantasy skin on the Hallmark movie. This is like you start watching a Hallmark movie, but slowly it morphs into like one of those weird A24 movies. I am actually like I am excited about this. I think I think this will be a fun read. I think we're going to get some we're going to get some tropes in there, you know, and everything. But again, I think because there is that element of like magic exists. This is fantasy, you know, all of that. I'm allowed to not care if it's realistic enough. I like the edge of like murder. <laughs> yes, I like the murderous witch. I like that this book is like no, nah, these witches are bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are some bad bitches, you know? I think this is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about this. So, Michael Scott Clifton, I hope I really like <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Yeah, and that's by reading it. So, let's do the thing. That was, again, the Mario version of... All right, so the Janus Witch, or as my husband called it every time he walked by. Anus? Well, he called it the huge anus book, because <laughs> that's what he thought it looked like. I have to say, 
Yeah, the way the J is written in this, it's weird because it almost disappears. <laughs> you really do. You just see the anus witch. That would have been a very different book. (laughs) And I guess it's because like the first letter of each word is very script swirly. And then the rest of the letters are not. Well, that would make it he anus itch, which would just be a really (laughs) awful book. (laughs) But for whatever reason, the T and the W, I see them fine. It's the J that just... Oh, man, maybe that says more about us than it does about the script. That being said, that has nothing to do with what this book actually was like. Was there a single mention of buttholes at all in the whole book? I don't think there was. No, I have some notes about boobs, but no buttholes. Oh, my God. That's funny. Yeah. Boobs are mentioned a lot. (laughs) Or bosoms. This is a romance written by a man. That's fair. So, you know, there's some male gaze going on sort of things. In the Janus Witch, we are first introduced to Tresslane, Morgana, and Argatha. They are witches in another world. I think even it's mentioned that there's like two moons or something in the sky. Oh, was there? Because I was going to ask. I didn't remember that. And I was confused about whether it was just fast forwarding in time versus that's kind of what i thought i assumed it was going to be fast forwarding in time but there's a mention of it's either two suns or two moons or something like that but so that's kind of what made me assume that it was just a completely different world and then later on both morgana and i think Tresslane mention their world versus our world or it's mentioned kind of in that aspect so it is two different worlds so the very beginning when they're in their world it's very much like kind of a standard fantasy setting people ride horseback you know there's no electricity there's i would say very medieval times yeah vibe yeah i would describe their world and the description of it as very old school standard fantasy yeah And the coven has gone into a tavern. They're kind of incognito. And they are working on brewing a Morlaga potion, which sucks the future life out of victims and puts it into a potion that people can then drink for to like revitalize themselves to regain some of their youth. But it's temporary. Yeah. And the witches are described as they can sort of change the way they look and stuff so that's part of how they're hiding but their physical descriptions are like the hot sanderson sisters like actually hot sanderson sisters thank you for saying that because that is exactly (laughs) how i imagine them in my brain and it cracks me up i didn't think about adding in the hot part but now that i'm thinking about it but anyway okay so the three of them they're brewing this potion so that they can then escape to somewhere else, sell the potion, make some money, keep doing their evil witchy thing. Lockwood and his buddy are after them. And also these two guys that kind of don't really matter. They think they're hot shit and they get ahead of Lockwood and his friend and end up being victims of the witches because they're dumb. And then in the fight that ensues, Morgana opens up a portal to escape, basically sacrifices Argatha, who was the dumb apprentice witch, I guess. Yeah. And she escapes. Tresslane also manages to escape through the portal, but there's 
something wrong about the portal. She overpowers it. So she puts like way too much magic into it. The portal is just supposed to like take her to some other place in the world. It's kind of like a window and it's scrolling through different places that they could go. But then it just turns into this whirlwind and they just kind of dive in and fall Alice in Wonderland style into another world. Yeah, they're holding hands when they go into it, but they end up being separated while they're in the whirlwind. Right before they jump through, Lockwood shoots Morgana, who is the coven leader. So she's like the boss bitch, right? He shoots her in the shoulder with a poisoned bolt from his crossbow. And then he grabs the pendant that Argatha has. So each of the witches has a pendant and it's very much tied to their power. He grabs Argatha's pendant because he can't get through the portal without being one of the coven witches, basically. Well, and there's an important thing about Lockwood in that his mother was a witch. Yes. So he hates witches and he's a witch hunter, but she was like the okay kind or like she turned her back on that evil witchery. And so he also has like little baby witch powers. Yeah. So he's got a bit of the witch blood in him. I think his mom had like left being a witch. And then I think Morgana killed his mom afterwards. And that's why he's got this vendetta against her specifically. But anyway, so he grabs Argatha's pendant. And he jumps through the portal, too, right before it ends up closing. And then all three of them are transported to our world, modern times, but they land in different places. But all in Texas, right? Yes. Yes. All in (laughs) Texas. Can we pause for a second, though? Yeah. In this description, it's light. It sounds light. It's not. It's brutal. Oh, yeah. This opening sequence, there's a point right when they pull up, when the witches pull up to the inn. They have their horses and their carriage or whatever. And then they get out and they're like disguising themselves and they have their victims with them and they bring them out. And then they, <laughs> I didn't fully understand what was going on. I think what must have happened is that they had captured other people, turned them into horses and made them be <laughs> the horses for the carriage. But so they're standing there and they just magic their horses back into like exhausted naked men. Yeah. And then they slit their throats yeah they just fucking kill them (laughs) it was shocking when that happened well and then they go up into the inn they're like oh we're just horse and so they rent (laughs) a room and the tavern guy is like okay but get up there and get out of the way before too many people see you or something like that and then so they make that potion and that's important because morgana has that potion with her when she lands in our world and she lands literally on a car and this rich lady freaks out. So Morgana ends up in a hospital and Tress Lane lands in some trees and then she stumbles her way to this farmhouse. Collapses into a man's arms at the door. Into the arms of the super hunky Dr. Lucas Beckett. Yeah. So I made notes of everyone's names and what they are. And I put next to Dr. Lucas Beckett, the love doctor. (laughs) (laughs) So it's one of those stories where each section is happening in a different space continually. So they're sort of running parallel to each other and they're not really Mm -hmm. overlapping until sort of this culmination at the end. So you've got the story of Tressa Lane, which is she fell through trees or whatever as she was landing and then had to crawl through these fields before she got to the door and then she passes Mm -hmm. out he takes her to the hospital he's like a pediatrician because of course he is yeah and 
she loses her memory. So she has no idea where she came from, how she got there. She's just like a child, basically. Mm -hmm. And their story is he's sort of enamored with her and he feels responsible for her. If it wasn't cute, it would be creepy a little bit kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's still kind of weird. He works at this public hospital. Or no, it's a private hospital. It is a private hospital because Mason Crick, who is the hospital manager, also works there. And Crick wants to send her to the public hospital because he doesn't want the expense of taking care of this Jane Doe that nobody knows who she is, right? And of course, Dr. Beckett is like, no, we have to take care of her. It's our obligation. Hippocratic oath, all that, you know, very much showing that Crick is a bad guy and... I mean, his name is like very close to just Crook. His scenes open up with him blackmailing rich women who he's gotten addicted to pills. Yes. And he like makes her strip down and then videotapes it and then tells her he's going to send the video out. Yeah. So we know that he's a bad dude. But at some point, Beckett goes back to like his farm where the orchard is and where he kind of retraces Tresslane's steps. He's like, okay, well, she must have come from over here, goes into the orchard, eventually finds where she fell through the trees and he finds her pendant, her amulet. And then so he brings that back to the hospital and he lays it on the bedside table or something like that. And that's when he sees it float and it goes around her neck and she doesn't like wake up, wake up right then, but her vitals start to change or something. And then not too long after that, Crick comes in there and then Crick sees her name being like written on paper, like a pen is like floating and writing and then it writes all over him or something. Yeah. And he runs down the hall. (laughs) Yeah. Runs back to his office, but then it's all gone. So like he's, you know, kind of freaking out about stuff. And then Crick, he's kind of how some of the storylines start to connect. Yeah. So while all this is going on, Morgana is in a different hospital. The public hospital that Crick wants to send Tressling to. She has her memory, but she's very weak and she's not sure about where she is and what this new world is. So she's staying in the hospital just to sort of learn a little bit and regain some of her power. And she decides to enslave the woman whose car she fell on. So that lady uh, has been coming back, I guess, like to check on her. And so she, she bewitches her. Yes, so that lady is worried that Morgana is going to, like, sue her. Her husband is this rich, influential guy. She doesn't want a lawsuit or to deal with anything, so she's hoping that if she's there taking care of this lady as she wakes up, the lady will be nice to her, basically. Yeah, she's not a very good person either. We don't even really get all that much of her because she literally spends the rest of the book. Well, but prior to that, she's full Karen. Oh, yeah, no, she's she's a total bitch. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how she gets out. She uses that lady, and then she disguises herself. She uses the little bit of the power. She's like, I think she drinks some of the potion to get some more mm-hmm. power, mm-hmm. disguises herself, and then walks out and then makes that lady her slave. So that lady has a lake house, and that's where Morgana kind of sets up a little hideaway base because... She leaves the hospital mysteriously and she knows that the police are going to want to talk to her or, you know, figure out who she is, where she came from, you know, all that kind of stuff. So she wants to lay low 
and not be recognized by anybody. So she's she hides out in the lady's lake house while she tries to regain her power and figure out, oh, I need to establish a coven in this world and nobody here has magic. This is fantastic. I'll be super powerful and it'll be really easy to dupe all the mortal, stupid people in this world. Yeah, Morgana is the stereotypical power-hungry, beauty-obsessed, youth-obsessed witch. Yeah. From fairy tales. And simultaneously, in Houston, Lockwood lands in, like, an alley and meets a homeless dude who tells him that he can go to this pawn shop to pawn things to get money. And that's how he meets Eddie, who is the pawn shop owner. Oh, Lockwood's also like 6'8 or something. He's massive. Yeah, he's ginormous. And he's in the pawn shop talking with Eddie when these two gangbanger thug kids come in and they're going to, I think, try to rob the place and Lockwood just lays them out. And so Eddie is like, man, you're great. I could certainly use that kind of muscle. So Lockwood moves into an apartment above <laughs> the <laughs> the pawn shop while he learns about this world and tries to figure out a way that he's going to find Morgana. I don't even think he thinks about Tressland at all because all he cares about is Morgana. And in his mind, if he kills Morgana, then even if one of the other witches is still alive it doesn't matter they're not powerful enough to establish like a coven and i think his plan is still to go after both of them but he just knows that morgana is morgana whatever is the more powerful one. Oh yeah and that he'll clean up later can i go ahead and tell you my favorite quote from the book oh yeah because it happens while Lockwood is with eddie and the pawn shop so he's again eddie's helping him basically learn about this world and at one point, there's a scene where Eddie brings him a laptop and is like, oh, I know that you're looking for this person and yada, yada, yada. And he basically tells him, he's like, you can use the internet to search for her. And so my favorite line from the book is Lock. Oh, I've been calling him Lockwood this whole time. His name is, is it Lockwood or Lockstone? It's Lockstone. Hey, everybody. So the, the witch hunter's name is Lockstone, not Lockwood. <laughs> Lockstone has my favorite quote in the whole book, which is, then you must teach me how to use this internet. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. I like that Eddie gets offended because he thinks that Lockwood, or no, dang it, Lockstone Lockstone (laughs) is making fun of him when he's like, what does search mean? Yeah. And he's like, if you don't want it, I'll just take it back. (laughs) No, 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 I want it, but. What does search mean? So that happens. He also learns how to shoot guns. And ride a Harley. Yeah. Honestly, I loved Lockstone. I think he was probably my favorite character through this whole thing. I just thought it was really cool how like, so Otherworld, like witch hunter badass cool, somehow translates into modern world, I ride a Harley and I carry guns in Texas kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I get it. The vibe translates, I think. (laughs) I don't know. Okay, so then the way stuff starts to come together is Crick, again, evil douchebag. Crick sees the floating pen and freaks out. So he knows there's something weird with Tresselane. And 
At some point, he had called to try to transfer her to this other hospital. And I think he gets a call from his colleague and they're sort of just chit-chatting about like, oh, it's so awful being the CEO of a hospital. And the other guy's like, you're telling me I had this weird case where this lady fell out of the sky onto a car. And he's like, wait a second. And all they're talking about is, can we make money off of this or not, basically. But so he gets the info that they had something happen and he assumes that it's related so he starts digging around and he has a goon lunker which is like of course that's the goon's name (laughs) (laughs) also a big guy but not as big as lockstone yeah and he has him track down the bewitched lady Mm -hmm. and follows her and then they they figure out that oh they have this other lady at the lake house and he has him sneak in and install cameras and stuff while they're gone Mm mm-hmm And then as they're watching that footage, they see Morgana doing magic and, like, beating (laughs) the other lady. (laughs) But they see what she can do, and he gets in his head, I can make money off of this. Whatever's happening here, I can make money off of this. Yeah. Crick has one thought at all times, and it is, how can I make money off of this? I think he sees her, she drinks the potion, and he sees that she's rejuvenated and instantly is like that's a youth found a youth yeah he is a sneaky dude so his plan is he needs to find somebody who understands magic and like witchcraft stuff so he starts researching people and places and he ends up with this lady in austin Mm -hmm. that he goes to visit who claims she's a annalise is her name she's a tea shop owner and a romani descended witch yeah so she like a different you know, type of witch, but she claims to have power. An our world witch. Yeah. So he bribes her, I guess, into helping him mm-hmm. to try to bewitch. She was like, you can't bewitch the, the witch, but you can bind her to yourself. So then they set off on this plan to go capture the witch and then bind her to him. And he remembers that Tressalane is, you know, probably related. So he kind of keeps that back pocket as ammo for how he's going to convince her. So that's his whole machination of what he's planning to do. He's going to enslave Morgana to constantly produce this Morlaga potion for him (laughs) so that he can sell it a million dollars a pop or something. That's very like Dr. Evil pinky in the mouth. A million (laughs) dollars. But meanwhile, so all of that stuff is going on and Tressalane and Dr. Beckett are having their hallmark movie romance thing going on after she wakes up crick again is threatening to like kick her out of the private hospital or whatever and so he's like no i'll sign over her care to me i'll take care of her and apparently that's just something that you can do so <laughs> he, if you put this outside of the of the hallmarky vibe that the book gives it it's really weird this man basically kidnaps an amnesiatic <laughs> painfully immature woman (laughs) takes her to his isolated ranch home (laughs) and keeps her there (laughs) away from everybody (laughs) but she's like so cool with it she's just like super into him like already because he saved her she's very childish but then also very sexual and he's he's kind of like a goody two-shoes a little bit and he it makes him uncomfortable yeah, but you also brought her to your home, yeah. my guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> is there really no other option here? <laughs> oh, no, I just, I had to bring the sexy, innocent, <laughs> we'll do whatever I tell her woman to my home. Like, what, what am I going to do? 
So she starts like accidentally doing more and more magic and she's like, what? Other people can't do this? What? Yeah. She's like, what? Butterflies don't just follow you around all the time? (laughs) What? Things don't just float around you? But then she also has this sort of inner turmoil where she thinks like, I have a dark side and I might be dangerous, but she doesn't really remember why. So she's having these really bad dreams. And the dreams are flashbacks, basically, to her life as an evil witch in that other world. What's really funny, so Beckett brings in this retired nurse lady named Mrs. Garcia to help take care of Tresslane during the day while he's gone. And she calls him one day just like, you have to get here now. If you don't get here now, I'm leaving. You know, all this. So he like rushes home. She's like the babysitter from The Incredibles. (laughs) (laughs) There's weird things happening. Yeah. Well, actually, that is that is a perfect side by side here. Like, don't be alarmed. But what's really weird is like when she's on the phone with him, she's like freaking out. She's like, you have to get here now. I'm leaving. This is, you won't understand, blah, 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 blah. And then he rushes home. And then when he gets there, she's like, calm down. Like, just go talk to her. <laughs> like, she has such a weird flip. And I think Mrs. Garcia is the one that recommends this antique shop owner as someone who might be able to help them find answers. I don't know if she, like, looked it up or whatever, but. It's somebody that she knows, I think, or somebody, she's like, someone I know has did an exorcism or, yeah. Something like that. But then they just ignore it for a long time. Because when Tresslane is around him, everything's better because love and he makes her happy. But she's scared that she's going to accidentally hurt him. I think what ends up happening is she has like a really bad dream and she's terrified that she's going to hurt him. And she's like, I have to leave you. I love you. I don't want to hurt you and all this stuff. And I think that's what eventually drives them to go talk to Hank Harper, who is the antique store owner. They make a whole big deal about how Hank is a little person. And I don't really understand why, but he is. The very first line in the chapter when they meet Hank is, Hank is a dwarf! Exclamation mark. Well, okay? it never occurred to me until just this moment, but... The thing that they acquire at that store could be related to that. Yeah, but like nothing comes of it. Maybe the author did that on purpose to just kind of like leave it like, I don't know, maybe he is part of some magical world, you know, because he is holding on to the book of first magic, which has a really cool cover that has little elves and fairies and stuff that move around on it. But they don't move around until Tresselaine touches the book. Yeah, I actually thought that this was kind of the turning point in the book for me where I felt like mm. it picked up. I found this book concept very interesting. I was going to wait for a little bit to talk about it, but it felt like there's a lot of really cool stuff in this book that like gets mentioned, but it doesn't get fleshed out as much as I would have liked it to. And yeah. The focus on like the hallmarky we're falling in love bit, mm-hmm. that's not what I wanted to focus on. I wanted to focus more on how her magic was being weird while she was. Yeah. There's a lot of deus ex machina at the mm-hmm. beginning. Stuff that's just like, oh, and they happen to have this thing on hand that did the exact thing that they needed. And- yeah. I found myself kind of thinking about Always My Girl as we were reading mm-hmm. this. And what I landed on was I can forgive so much more of kind of like, I don't want to call it like lazy storytelling, but like very formulaic storytelling 
when there is that aspect of like fantasy involved, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can suspend my disbelief quite a bit more when you're adding in supernatural or fantastic elements to a story versus a quote unquote like real world. And part of that is because that's your bias. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But I agree that it adds another layer that makes it more interesting. And there's a lot of things that are sort of interesting and unique and creative elements, I think, Mm -hmm. that were added in. And like you said, maybe not fully fleshed out to the extent, like I would have loved to focus more on that, but that's not what the book's about. It's a romance. Okay. So they go to see Hank at this antique place. They tell him the story and they're like, oh, you're not going to believe us. Never mind. We're going to leave. And he's like, actually, I have something for you. And he brings them this book, and when Tressline touches it, the figures on the cover start moving around, and they talk to her, and she talks back, and she's speaking, like, ancient Gaelic, I think. And Hank lends her the book and says, you know, when you're done with it, just give it back to me. And so she takes it back. They go back to isolation, (laughs) basically. And so she's starting to practice magic using this book. And it's good magic, and it's nice, and it's things like making fish swim in the air and then go back into a pond. She can make tea hot or cold at, you know, just things like that. Very innocent witchery. She has a magic wand that's a wooden spoon. (laughs) Yeah, from the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) And throughout all of this, she's very, I'm talking like Snow White, Cinderella, Mm -hmm. Holding hands very dainty as she prances around and sings to the birds kind of stuff. Giving you cavities. It's so sickly sweet. But her nightmares don't happen as often. It seems to be helping her quite a bit. I think part of what they say is that she's got all this magic building and she has to get it out. And so doing the work with the book and the little people is what she calls. The little people. Yeah. (laughs) The people in the book that talk to her. uh, That is helping express some of that magic so that it's not all bubbling up at night. And so throughout this time, Beckett is like, man, this is great. And they keep professing their love to each other. And then he decides he wants to propose marriage. Oh, at some point, she does talk to him about how she was like, I think I was a bad person before. You know, I think I did terrible things. And he tells her about his own bad past. And his own bad past is like nothing. (laughs) He's like, he's like, I could never judge you. I was a terrible person. And it was something like I stressed my mom out sometimes. Yeah, he was like a rebellious teenager. But he didn't like, I think he just like, snuck out of the house a couple times or like didn't do as good in school as he could have and like he comes home late one night and he sees his mom praying that he'll be better and he like kneels down and prays next to her and then that's where he turned his life around and became mr goody two shoes did his dad die or something was that something happened that caused him to go off the deep end and then he was like i didn't even think about what it did to her it was a very wholesome worst thing about me confession my note was being a piece of shit teenager is exactly the same thing as a murderous witch totally i have a totally unrelated to the plot note but i do think this is around when it happens is this Mm. when they start going to bed together i think when she confesses that she thinks she's a really bad person again this we're backtracking a little bit this is before they go get the book but yeah they start sleeping (laughs) together before they get the book there is a note that i have i feel like it's related to Descriptions of a woman's body written by a man. Mm. 
But my note says, I am really concerned about Tressalane's boobs. <laughs> because there's, <laughs> there's a point where she's supposed to be laying in bed with her shirt like half on. So she's like in some state of undress, but she's laying on the bed. And this is the description of her breasts. They were swaying like a clock pendulum. Oh, yes. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, how? Yeah. They were what? As she's laying in bed. I don't understand that. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Like this defies. (laughs) What are the physics of this? I mean, I don't know. She's also like making shit float around. So maybe her magic was just. Buoying them up. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so as things get better for them, he decides he wants to propose. So he takes her out, proposes to her. And when he proposes, she's like, what's marriage? What do you mean? And so he gives like a really basic explanation. And she's like, oh, um, can I think about it? Well, his explanation I felt like was very dry it was basically just like when two people are in love and they decide they want to stay together they get married didn't he talk about like marriage licenses and it just felt very business (laughs) she's basically just like oh that's really interesting can i think about it and he gets so mad he turns into like the pissiest little bitch baby i've ever heard (laughs) and like (laughs) what is going on so i have several notes from this The problematically childlike amnesiac who just learned what marriage even means has the first adult moment of her new life and wants to think (laughs) and talk about a big decision with you. And you immediately turn into a douche. (laughs) Like, that's what happens. Like, so through her whole, what would you call it? Like her convalescence or whatever. (laughs) It talks about, he's like, oh man, I'm just, I'm so in love with her. She's just so great. And through that whole thing, and I think I had a note from earlier than that, I was like, Why? Why are you in love with her? Because it doesn't really ever give an explanation of like, is it her personality? Is it it her floating buoyant boobs? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So for that, I wrote, we know she's beautiful and butterflies like her. And she's very childlike and innocent. And in parentheses, I put ick. She gets happy and sad and horny at the drop of a hat. (laughs) And we know absolutely nothing else about her. And as far as we, the readers know, he knows absolutely nothing else about her. I got this vibe that Beckett was basically in love with an empty shell. Mm. You know what I mean? I was like, okay, cool. She's pretty and she's nice. But what does she like? What does she not like? She didn't seem fleshed out in that sense. It was just... I think it's intentional that she's not fleshed out. It's questionable that he's in love with that. But I think yeah, the whole I'm half a person right now is her whole issue. I guess I was just really icked out by this idea of like, he's so absolutely enamored by her. And I'm like, she's not anything. How could you be in love with that? (laughs) So anyway, so then he turns into a douchebag when he asks her to get married. And she's like, hey, can we talk about it a little bit? (laughs) I wrote down, bitch ain't even got like an ID. How are you going to get married? Because again, like he basically kidnapped her from the hospital and has kept her in isolation at his remote home. Let a bitch breathe, you know, like give her give her a chance to like figure this shit out. I think it's only been like a couple of weeks, maybe the time frame in this. I'm not really sure about. And then he shuts down. He's quiet. He's like, she ruined the dinner. (laughs) And then they like drive back home in silence. And he just, like, goes straight to bed, and she's just like, what the fuck? And so, like, she gets into bed, 
And I'm like, really? And I think there's a quote here where he said, how could things have gone from good to bad so fast? Like he's thinking that. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know, Beckett. What do you think might have happened here? Who who could be responsible for this? <laughs> but then she's like, no, fuck this. And so she like turns the light back on. Jumps on top of him and is like holding him down. She's like oddly strong. Her and Morgana both have this like otherworldly strength. And there's a weird part here where it mentions she's holding him in place with her crotch. (laughs) Which he's like turned on by, but also like, holy crap, she could kill me (laughs) or something. But she's like, no, we're going to talk about this. And we're going to figure this out. So I was like, okay, good. I'm glad we didn't just like run with this. Oh, you misunderstood me. No, you misunderstood me. Again, hallmarky, tropey kind of thing, right? Like she shuts that down. She's like, we're going to talk about this. They talk about it. And she's like, well, yes, I would like to marry you now that we've talked about it. <laughs> and so, like, I'm not really sure why those scenes had to happen like that. But I at least enjoyed the I'm not going to take this silent treatment bullshit. So then they get, yay, they get engaged. Woo-hoo. But then there's a point here where she's again talking about how, like, she was this bad person. And she's like, you know, yes, this book is helping me. But this is where she makes him promise, basically, if that woman ever comes back, you run. Because at this point, she's like, I know that I was bad. I know that I did bad things. I killed people. She tells him Mm -hmm. that she killed people. And he's like, I'll never judge you. (laughs) Maybe you should judge her a little bit. And so she makes him promise that and everything. While she's talking about it, Beckett has this moment where he's thinking, it says, Lucas couldn't believe his ears. She was describing textbook schizophrenia, a split personality. And I, mean, <laughs> I had to stop reading. That's not schizophrenia. My note says, uh, no, Michael, that's not textbook schizophrenia. That got me annoyed a little bit. But yeah, so then they're being happy. Meanwhile, Crick's plot to trap Morgana is going on. And he has... Lunker leave a note and address in the lake house while Morgana and her slave lady are out. Basically saying like, I have Tresselaine. Come meet me at this place if you ever want to see her again. And he makes her meet him at a honky tonk bar. And Lockstone has tracked down Morgana and figured out that Morgana has bewitched that lady. And he has found the lake house. And so he ends up following Morgana as she leaves the lake house. And Lunker is also following Morgana. And so he sees Lockstone and he calls Crick up and he's like, hey, there's this other person following. What should we do? And Crick is like, ah, just take care of him. So those two threads are kind of starting to come together. When Morgana meets Crick at the honky tonk, she tries to bewitch him. Surprise, surprise, she can't because Crick had Annalise make a ward necklace for him. And then guess what? We get two books in a row. (laughs) Date rape drugs. (laughs) That is actually the last note that I have because I was just like, here's the note in its entirety. Bro, what the fuck? Does every romance novel have date rape drugs? Yeah, I wrote, dude, date rape drugs featured in two books in a row. But yeah, so he roofies her and him and Lunker take her out of the bar. And I'm like, they go past the bouncers and the bouncers are like, hey, what's wrong? And they're like, oh, man, she can't handle her liquor. And they're like, ha ha, take that bitch home. Ooh, that's kind of weird. Like a completely unconscious person. Like you would think that there might be a little bit more concern. 
I got the vibe that they knew exactly what had happened to her and they were just letting it happen. Mm. Both of those vibes suck. So Lunker has subcontracted these two other muscle guys, basically. And so he tells the two other guys, like, hey, take care of this dude that's been tailing us, right? So they attack Lockstone and it takes two tasers simultaneously or something like that to take Lockstone down because he's such a big honking boy. And what's crazy is that, like, at one point, I think Crick or Lunker or one of these guys is talking about their tasers. And they're like, yeah, this could bring down a bull elephant. I'm like, bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) Like, a little taser like that. Yeah, it's going to bring a person down, sure. But an elephant, if it brought down an elephant, it would literally kill a man. (laughs) Right? I don't know. I don't know much about tasers. but So they get Lockstone. They're going to take him out somewhere. And... They are like, oh, let's shoot him and then bury him and, you know, all this stuff. And while they're taking their time, he uses the amulet to give himself some some magical powers and he doesn't bewitch them. Well, first he beats them up. He plays possum until they go to get him out of the car and then he kicks them like a mule, like across the clearing. (laughs) Yeah. So he, he subdues them physically. Yeah. And then he compels them. The bewitching basically takes away all of your autonomy. You're kind of like this puppet that has to be told what to do. His description of whatever it is that he's doing makes it sound a lot like he's like they're very infatuated with him. Well, and he does do this earlier. We didn't mention it, but when he's tracking Morgana down, he goes to the hospital where she was and he does it to a nurse slash receptionist. And he's like, oh, no, I put a little too much power into it because this girl is like, slowly taking her shirt off like oh it's hot in here isn't it and he has to like dial it back with her but yeah so he he compels these two dudes basically tells them like yeah you you tell your boss we killed him we buried him it's all taken care of he's like but basically turns them into his little cronies honestly i wish we got to see more of them because i really liked them after they were compelled by lockstone because they're like hey man what do you need how's it go do you want do you want my money here i'm sorry we took your money here's your money back do you want (laughs) Do you want some of mine? I think at one point they're like, hey, do you, do you want a gun? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted like a Lockstone Lunker meetup because there's sort of a point where Lunker's like, I don't like what my boss is doing. I don't yeah. really want to participate in this. And I was like, can we get a Lunker Lockstone buddy cop going on? Right. I thought that was going to happen. I thought Lunker was going to at one point be like, no, this is too much. You've gone too far. And he was going to help Lockstone. Yeah. But, okay, so now Crick has Morgana, takes her to his own house, I guess, where he has Annalise help him bind her to him. And what's the first thing he does after Morgana is bound to him? Yeah, he rapes her, like, all night long. Yeah. It's terrible. He also basically blackmails Annalise by being like, hey, if you fuck around, I'm going to send Morgana after you. Annalise wants to get out before she can be identified because she knows that mm-hmm. Morgana is so powerful and that she knows mm-hmm. she'll be a victim if she ever escapes. And he makes sure that she is identified so she will always be also required to make sure that Morgana never gets out of this. But he does pay her. She does have money. That's good, I guess, for her. And so then now Crick is like, okay, we're going to make this Morlaga potion. What do you need? she's like, I have to drain people of their life essence to do this. And he's like, ha, there's homeless people everywhere. This is fantastic. This is going to be so easy. And so then he starts doing his machinations for that. 
Meanwhile, Beckett and Tresslane are shopping at the mall. <laughs> and I think that's all they do out in public is go have bad dinners and go shopping. There's a whole thing about how all the bags tip over and she wants to magic them back. And he's like, no, you can't do that in public. And so then he goes to get them some soft drinks. Soft drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, like, you know how people are like, oh, do you say soda? Do you say pop? Are you from Georgia and you call everything a Coke? No, apparently Beckett calls everything soft drinks. I'm going to go get us a couple of soft drinks. (laughs) I remember reading that and be like, okay. (laughs) So she's sitting there alone. And then this lady comes up and she's like, so you're the new sweet, innocent thing. Hi, my name is Mandy and I'm a bitch. I used to be the sweet, innocent thing that he loved, but not anymore. I think she even makes like a, what's your name? And she's just Tressalane and she's like, oh, you don't even have a last name. Yeah. So for Mandy, my note on who she is is just Lucas's rich bitch ex. So she exists just to create a scenario where Tressalane is mean again. Jealous. She's like, oh, you, you know, he's he's going to move on from you or, you know, something along those lines. And and Tresslane just gets more and more frustrated and angry. And then she ends up she's using her magic and like strangles Mandy with her own purse and then like knocks yeah. her across the mall through a couple kiosks and like all this stuff. And then as there's a commotion of these people crowding around where Mandy has fallen, like really far away, he comes walking back with the two soft drinks <laughs> And he's like, man, what's going on over there? And Tressline's like, I don't know. I want to leave. He's like, oh, someone's hurt. I should go see. And she's like, no, please. Can we just leave? Oh, I don't feel good. Or you know, something like, I'm tired. And he's like, well, but I'm a doctor. I'm a good boy. I should go help. And she's like, no, please, please. Let's just go. Let's just go. And so they leave. And I think when they get back to the house, she says what happens. Like she, she mm-hmm. comes clean. And he's like, well, shit, I got to go check on her. And so he leaves. And so then she's just left at the house, like stewing for a little while. And then he comes back and then he tells her that, yes, he met her when he was volunteering at a program that had this halfway house or something. She was like an ex-addict. Her family's very rich and they sweep everything under the rug. And Tresslane was worried that like, well, didn't the people see what happened? Am I going to get in trouble? And he's like, no, all the witnesses said that this lady went on a rampage and nobody (laughs) saw it. Even the CCTV was kind of funky and all it showed was like her being crazy. And it turns out that she had, uh, here's another thing. It says that she had morphine in her system. So she's back on oxys. But yeah, so he's basically just like, actually, everything shows that it was basically her fault and her family will sweep it under the rug. So no consequences for you. Yay. Is this a point where they show up and try to take them to Morgana? Yes. So Morgana is wanting to make this potion and she makes some. And Crick is like, okay, how fast can you do it again? And she's like, oh, I'm tired. I'm drained. It's going to take me a while. And she was like, maybe later tonight or something. Like, it wasn't a long time. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, well, if I had a coven, you know, we would share magic. We would share our energies and we could do it faster. And he's like, what do you need? And she goes, I need Tressalane. He's like, I got you, bitch. And so he kidnaps Beckett 
to use as bait to make Tressling come, you know, so she doesn't do any witchery fuckery. And Tressling is, of course, like, yes, yes, I will do it. I'll, I'll be there. When the car pulls up, she runs out, opens the door, hops in and is like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And then they put a bag over her head. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Lunker has to go get Tressling. He's bringing her back. Everything all comes together at this warehouse that Crick has bought that's in this like abandoned area of town. Lockstone is also creeping in. His two buddies that he has compelled call him up and they're like, hey, we found out about this thing that you were wanting to know about like Morgana, basically. They're going to be here. Actually, I think they're the ones that grab Beckett. So like, yeah, we brought him to this warehouse and we saw a lady there and that's who you were looking for, right? And so they tell him, they're like, we'll get you close. And then, oh, by the way, there's like this little office there that probably has like an outside door or window or something. If you <laughs> wanted to sneak in, you should sneak in through there. We got you, dude. Like, again, like they're just like total bros with Lockstone and I love it so much. So Lockstone sneaking in, Beckett is there tied up, being held as bait. Crick and Morgana are waiting for Tress Lane to get there. She gets there. And now everybody's in the same place. Also, it's storming. It's hella storming outside, like super loud storming. And I think part of the binding for Morgana is that she, contrary to the bewitching, where the person is basically just shut off in a robot, yeah, she is still conscious and aware of everything. She just has to do what he says. Mm -hmm. So she can still scheme and think around whatever he's told her to do. So Annalise is like, you cannot give her an out. So he has told her, you can't hurt me or any of my associates. Like, there's this whole long list of things. It's like three, four things specifically that he says that covers most stuff. But somewhere in, after he's raped her, he's basically like, oh, you go ahead, do all the plotting you want to do because you can't hurt me and yada, yada, yada. And that comes back a little bit later. <laughs> well, that comes back right around now because she sees Tressalane and. She's like, you have forgotten whatever, so I'm going to make you remember. And so she does a big magic, and it, it's very dramatic, and it throws like a blast through the whole room, mm -hmm. and it hits Tressalane. I think she like raises up in the air or something. Yeah, it knocks her back. Lockstone, who is creeping in to get a good shot at Morgana, gets knocked back also. And impaled. Yeah, it says that like... It probably won't kill him, but he's bleeding a lot. He shoves some straw in there because this warehouse <laughs> has straw. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> that blast makes Tressalane remember and sort of revert back to her other self. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we've talked about it, but her amulet thing changes mm -hmm. colors like when she's a good witch, a white witch or a black witch. So it's like a white mm -hmm. color when she's the Sleeping Beauty Disney princess yeah. acting person. Literally hollow, empty shell. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's turned black again. I think even her eye color changes. It's blue when she's the empty shell and then dark when she's mm. not. So she gets hit with this big magic. She is back to herself. And the Morgana looks at her and she says, you see what's happening? She's like, yes, I yeah. do. And she's like, you know what you have to do? Yes, I <laughs> yes, do. Yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and then she turns on everybody else. Yeah, but specifically goes after Crick because she can kill Crick. And Crick yeah. didn't even think about like, hey, maybe I should bind this girl to me. Nothing. He was like, oh, I've got her boyfriend and that's all that matters. Like she won't do anything against me if I have him. But 
he doesn't realize that if she reverts back to evil murderous witch, she's not going to care about him. And I think actually, like, there's still some lingering there because she turns and looks at Beckett and she's like, you broke your vow. I told you to run and you didn't run. (laughs) She breaks the binding by the magic of the binding pushes this like blood, I think, into Morgana. Yeah. So she pulls this blood vapor out of Crick. And then takes yeah. it to Morgana, puts it into her, and then the binding has been broken. And now now Morgana has her full faculties, and she's not bound to Crick. She's like, I really, really wanted to torture you for a long time, and I'm super bummed that I'm not going to get to do that. Yeah. But instead, I'm going to do this. And she has, like, claw nails. They talk about that in a few different places. She, like, scratches his forehead with her nail, and it just magically draws itself all down his body it like basically bisects him yeah but just his skin then she starts pulling her hands apart and like the skin separates and it separates more and more and he's just screaming and if she essentially just like degloves him yeah from both sides and then he just slowly dies (laughs) my last note from reading this is just Crick's death, metal as fuck. And there's a part of me like, I was like, holy shit. And then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, let's go. (laughs) I got so excited. I was like, ooh, good stuff, good stuff. And then I thought I was a bad person for rooting for that. And then Lunker dies too. He dies before that, I think, right? As the degloving happens, Lunker tries to shoot Morgana because he's like, holy fuck, like, ah. And then Morgana gets him. And she magics like where he can't pull the trigger anymore. And then like turns the gun around and he's got it pointed at his own chest. And then he like unloads the clip. And so we don't get our Lockstone Linker buddy cop team up. I really wish he had just been kind of like knocked away unconscious or something. It would have been a cool like sequel to this where it's like Lockstone and Lunker on the case (laughs) hunting down other witches Lockstone is in his element in our world he was meant for our world I think and I think what it is is that he has a modicum of power and Mm -hmm. so he's able to tap into that but he fits in the way neither of the other two fit in he's smart so he's like I'm gonna figure this out but he is also laser focused on his Mm -hmm. mission that's true so then Lockstone slowly crawling because he's, you know, injured badly and he realizes, like, I can't shoot from where I am, so I'm probably going to die. So I'm just Mm going to Hail Mary. And his Hail Mary is, he's got a plan, but he's, like, slowly crawling his way towards them as all this is happening. Yeah. And then meanwhile, after killing Crick and Lunker, Morgana's like, okay, let's do this, Tresslane, you and me. New world, new witches, let's do this. Let's start by making some more of this Morlaga potion with your boyfriend. And so she like strips down Beckett and she's starting the potion. So the potion involves this chalice that they put some stuff in, they do some chanting, and then this like vapor comes out and it goes down to his feet and it starts crawling up his body. And then right as it starts to drain him, he calls Tresselaine his heart thread, or it's some Gaelic term, and it's basically like, you are the vein to my heart. You're, you're my beloved. He says, I forgive you. She's done this to you. This isn't the real you. I know the real you. You were raised in this insanity. You knew nothing else, but I know the real you, the you that came out, you know, without her influence, and I love you. 
And that basically shakes Tresslane enough that she... Her amulet does like a yin-yang. It's black and white at the same time. Yeah, they're like battling for supremacy, basically. Yeah. But the good witch wins out, and so then she turns on Morgana, but she's still got her bad witch powers, right? And so then mm-hmm. Morgana and Tresslane have this, like, battle of magic, which is kind of cool. It's really cool because Tresslane's like... I'm the more powerful one. I've been more powerful than Mm. you. I was hiding it because I didn't want you to know, but I was going to turn on you anyway. It was this point where I was like, man, I really wish we had a whole book of them before this. You know, like if this was two books, right? And we had the whole backstory and more of this nuanced stuff because it was very much like a, oh, now that we're in this moment, I'm going to story dump some lore which could have been built up before. There's some point where Morgana talks about how the coven is created. She picks them out as children. Yeah. To train yeah. them. So really, Tresseline, even if she did evil stuff, you know, she was a victim in all of it too. I don't know if yeah. it's like she had witch powers and then was kind of kidnapped or if she was kidnapped and then taught to have witch powers. It seems like it's a genetic thing. That is talked about when Crick is like, what do you need so that we can do this faster? And she's like, well, I need a coven. He's like, well, how about Annalise? I'll, I'll get Annalise and she can be in your coven. She's like, she's not very powerful. She's also too old. Because the whole thing is that Morgana talks about how you have to mold mm-hmm. these junior witches. And so, again, there's a lot that gets hinted at in the book that'll just pop up when it's convenient to mention. And I'm like, oh, man, I would have loved to hear more about that. But so then they have this fight and Tresslane is winning. but then. Morgana sneaks and sips some of the potion and then she's stronger. Then she gets the upper hand and she's like beating the shit out of Tresslane. She's got Tresslane like suspended in the air and she's just like battering her face and then gets her rib cage and it's just like boxing her. And then Beckett picks up a gun and tries to shoot, but he's like literally never shot before in his life. So it's like going <laughs> wide and it's, you know, whatever. And it distracts Morgana. And so she's coming over talking to Beckett. And she's like, well, I'm going to kill you too. And I'm going to, you know, like she's evil monologuing. And then that's when Lockstone is like, well, time to kamikaze this shit. And so he just comes yeah. walking over and he slumps against a wall and Morgana sees him and she's like, my lucky day my (laughs) my greatest enemy the only one who ever got close enough to kill me and now my traitorous former apprentice and her boyfriend oh i'm just gonna have so much fun killing you all (laughs) that's very winifred sanderson (laughs) yeah and he's like don't you even want to know how i got here and he tells her about how he used argatha's amulet and she's like what give it to me. He's like, yes, I, I've got it here in this bag. Hold on. And she's like, I'll get it. And so she like grabs the bag away and she's shaking it out. And she shakes out this thing called the turtle, which we didn't mention, but it was something that they tried to use. I think it's actually what killed Argatha. They did use it. Yeah. So it's this little machine that is magic to attack witches. And it's basically like a witch grenade. So like, mm-hmm. It plops on the ground, it opens up, and these like razor sharp things pop up into the air and they zero in on any witch power in the area. And so they all go after Morgana and she's like, ah, and she, she starts to run away and she blasts open the doors and the storm outside starts, you know, raining in or whatever. And she goes out of sight and then she stumbles back. 
And she's yeah. like, plops down on the floor and she's dead. And they're like, oh, thank goodness. And so then Tresslane and Beckett are having a moment. But then Lockstone is like, there's still a witch here. And so then all the razor things pop up out of Morgana and start to go after Tresselaine and Beckett jumps in the middle and there's this weird thing where he's like standing in between her and moving yeah. anytime they move. And like I just like while I was reading it, I just remember thinking like how funny it was and how it felt kind of out of place with how funny it was. <laughs> Cause it was very much like a he's in this like juke and jive battle with these like razor sharp things. And then Tresslane picks him up and, like, throws him out of the way because, like, if he doesn't move, they're going to go through him to get to her. Well, she has a moment where she was like, you showed me everything I needed to know and you showed mm -hmm. me what love is and that's enough. <laughs> and so she yeets him out of the way. <laughs> and they, the razor things go into her. She dies. They go back in the turtle. The turtle snaps shut. And then Beckett's... Runs over to Lockstone. And he's like, I got to get you to a hospital. And he's like, nah, dog. Did what I came here to do. It's going to be okay. Both of their bodies burst into flames, the witches. Yes. And turn into ash. And then this storm is like getting more and more violent. And Lockstone is like, the magic is competing or whatever. Like, we need to get yeah. out of here because it's going to implode. And, so and then Beckett's like, I see a shiny thing over there in that pile yeah. of ashes. And he runs over and he finds her locket and he's very upset because he can't find the ring. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the engagement ring. I don't know how he gets Lockstone out of there because he's so big, but they get out. They run out. Mm -hmm. He puts more straw on there on his wound and he's like, hold yeah. that. And then they <laughs> run out. Yeah. So they run out and there's like a tornado. It's very Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and it's localized just on the warehouse. They drive away. Lockstone does get buddied up with Hank. And that's yes. giant Lockstone and little Hank. Like, perhaps that is why Hank is is a little person, just so that you can have that juxtaposition for the future. I guess. Who knows what. Because, okay, so this is, we're like Endgame. So we kind of cut forward, and Lucas Beckett has lost his ever-loving mind mm -hmm. after all of this. He's mm -hmm. an alcoholic, apparently. He describes how he is vomit-dried on his beard and it's been a month because it says like a month's growth of beard that has food and vomit stuck in it gross he's a shut-in at his house he wakes up surrounded by beer cans yeah and pizza boxes and lockstone and hank are at the door so i guess mm. he was with it enough to get lockstone to the hospital and then he connected those guys and was like hank will help you while you recover or whatever convalesce <laughs> yeah, I think they did say convalesce. Yeah. But so now he's better, and so they're showing up. I don't know if they're there to check on him or what they're- Hank is like, hey, you guys said you were going to give me that book back when you were done with it. Yeah. I remember like the way that it's said in the book. I'm like, man, that's not very considerate to the obviously depressed man's feelings, but okay. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I don't want the book. Get it out of here. I can't even stand to go in the room where it is anyway. So they go in. Mm -hmm. And first he's like, you go get it. I can't even stand to look at it. So oh, Hank goes to right. get it. And Hank comes back. And he's like, I can't. He's like, what are you talking about? You said you wanted the book. Take the book and go. And he's like, bro, I literally can't pick the book up. It won't let me. Then Becca goes in there. And when as soon as he touches it, this big light comes out of it. And then it forms itself into a person. And it's Tresseline. And she has the ring. She's had the ring on the whole time. She comes out of the book and he's like, how is this possible? How are you here? And she's like, I live in the land of the little people now. I can come here like a day and a night at the most and then I have to go back, but you can come with me. And she cleans them all up. 
Magic's his puke beard out of the way. And hey, Hank, you can perform wedding ceremonies, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, actually, yes, I can. So they live happily ever after in little people land. Beckett gets this pocket wife <laughs> that lives in a book and she can only come out sometimes. Cool. You get to keep your wife in isolation from, from everybody else in the world forever. <laughs> I think this is all the epilogue, right? It's either the last chapter or the epilogue. Oh, they jump into their golf cart to head off to the cabin for the first stop of their honeymoon. <laughs> like They go from the main house to the cabin. I thought it was interesting because they don't mention the phrase Janice Witch until the epilogue. I think I was about halfway through the book when I realized that I did know where the word Janice came from. Because I was like, why is mm -hmm. it called this? I was like, oh, it's the god that has the two faces or whatever. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And I was wondering if it was going to be explained. And then, yeah, Hank describes that to Lockstone. And we do have a bit of a cliffhanger ending in the epilogue. Mm -hmm. So we go mm -hmm. back to Annalise, mm -hmm. who's sitting in her tea shop. And unbeknownst to anybody, she has actually snuck some of Morgana's blood and kept it. And I guess she can tell when Morgana dies because the blood was glowing and then it stops glowing. Yeah, so she has spent basically this month looking up all the things that had happened and trying to figure out, like, am I safe? Is Crick yeah. going to come after me? Is Lunker going to come after me? Is Morgana going to come after me? And she's finally is like, okay, they're not. But then she goes into like the back of her shop, into like a lockbox, all these sort of like hidden things away. Mm -hmm. And she pulls out like an old jewelry box or something. Mm -hmm. And out of there, she pulls an amulet with a busted jewel or whatever in it. Mm -hmm. And then she, does she just pour the blood on there? She does something to make it glow again. So in this back room, I think it's important to mention that she's got like all these vials and liquid and herbs and stuff. And also preserved toads, lizards, snakes, you know, things like that, which like, oh, okay, yeah. so you, you dabble a little on the dark side. She just takes a locket of her own. It has a broken jewel, a dull gray gem cracked and fissured, and she lays it on the table. She pours the blood on it. It fills into the stone, into the broken cracks. And then it repairs it into a complete stone, and it is midnight black. <laughs> Literally the last two words of the book. <laughs> so there is potential for a Hank Lockstone Tressilane hunting Showdown. the new powerful witch, Annalise. Mm -hmm. It does seem really interesting. Although there's a part of me, it's like, well, how's that going to work? Because like every vibe that we've gotten about the real world is that magic is relatively unknown, except for, you know, within these very secret groups. Mm -hmm. Every time Annalise is talking about Morgana or anything, she's like terrified of her because she's like, I've never even heard of anybody this powerful. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, so the resources to get like that don't exist in our world, but apparently maybe they do. Or maybe with the blood, she's- That's what I think it is. Maybe within our world, people just hadn't figured out how to tap into that kind of power yet. Like they've only gotten like a little bit of it. So that's the book. Yeah, overall, I had I had a pretty good time. There were several times through the whole book where I was just like, it felt like some very basic descriptions of things. And almost mm -hmm. like, I have to say three things about each, oh. about a person or, you know, whatever. And it was fine, but I wanted the book to be deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, like the whole time I was reading, I was like, man, I want this to be deeper. And I can't really figure out what particular thing. Well, I think there's just a lot of, 
there's hints at things that are like, ooh, that's a cool idea, Mm -hmm. but it's not paid attention to. Yeah. It's mentioned and then forgotten, like you said. And then there's a lot of sort of surface level character. It's the weird mixture between what I would consider, based on our very small sample size of romance novels, (laughs) standard level romance novel characterization, but put against fantasy, which typically has very heavy character based Mm -hmm. writing so like it's just a weird mixture i wish that this book was like twice as long as it is because it would have given us time to really explore these things you know and Mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily like do i need the full history of this world that they came from not necessarily but i am a person who loved all the game of thrones books and where you get so deep in that kind of world building that I guess I'm just used to that. And so when I didn't get it out of this book, I was like, oh, come on, come on. I think it's just maybe a hard couple of genres to do together. And I do think it's interesting because there was one thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about, which was the way that people in our world react to first seeing magic. Mm -hmm. How would normal people react to stuff like this? Like, how would I react to seeing stuff levitate. I found it very interesting because it was like in the books, you know, people kind of freak out and then they accept it very quickly. And there was a part Mm -hmm. of me that was like, no way. No. If you had asked me in 2019, (laughs) I would have agreed with you. But seeing how the world and we all reacted to everything that's happened since then, I think maybe that is how it would go. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. So like I had that reaction and I think I was writing it down that's unrealistic. They should have freaked out a bit more, you know, something. And I was like, well, would they? Yeah. Seeing things like the pandemic and stuff, how quickly we adapt or, you know, like integrate a new reality as much as you might struggle with it. Like I know that I went back and forth from being like, this is not a big deal to I'm losing my mind working from home. This makes no sense. And I just, I want it all to be over, you know, whatever. Well, that goes back to like the idea of cognitive dissonance, right? Our brains do not like to have competing definitions of reality. And so if you are confronted with undeniable evidence of a new reality, your brain is going to want to just accept it as fast as possible because it's very uncomfortable to be in that in-between. If you think of the brain as a organ that helps you survive, it's like you have to. Even if you don't fully understand it, you just kind of have to move on because if you're anguishing in this and a lion attacks you, you're going to die. So you just need to like adapt now. Let's go, you know. So I remember as those initial reactions to magic were happening, I remember having that thought and being like, okay, that's actually kind of a neat, it's a fun thought experiment. I think I can safely say that I don't think I like romance stories, but I can stomach it a bit better if you throw in some magic and fantasy Mm -hmm. elements. I can take it a bit better. You know, there was a book that I read over the summer last year, and I would have said I was in the same boat as you, but that mm. book was, it was heavy fantasy type book, but on underneath it was a romance and it was sweet and heartfelt and I loved it, mm. but it was not typical. You know what I mean? It wasn't like shirtless guy on the cover kind of romance <laughs> novel. So I think... That kind of romance novel, the stereotypical and what you would call like the smutty, whatever, like I'm not interested in those, but romance in, it's a House on the Cerulean Sea, if that's the book that I'm Mm, talking about. Okay. I do remember you talking about that. Yeah. 
the exploration of relationships and love growing or whatever, I do yeah. enjoy. I do like mm-hmm. stories about that. I just don't like that style. Honestly, that reminds me of a while back. I mean, years ago, I read Never Let Me Go. Mm-hmm. And it has a sci-fi element to it. I want to say I saw the movie first and then I went and read the book. Is that the one where they're clones or something? They're clones that are grown, like they have to grow up as kids. And so there's this whole, they live in like a boarding school. To be harvested for organs, right? Yeah. And I don't remember if they know from when they're children, but at some point they know who they are, what they're for and everything. And then after they graduate from the school, they can kind of go live their lives and do certain things, but they have to stay within like a certain area, I think. And then eventually someone's like, oh, I need a bit of your liver now, or, you know, I need a kidney. And they try to keep these clones alive as long as possible so that they can continue to give organs, but eventually they do die. And the story is about these two girls and one guy and their friends, and then some of them kind of fall in love with each other at different times and, you know, whatever. So there is a lot of exploration of, of relationships in that. And that's a major focus of the book, too. And it's like, you know, how can you have these relationships when you know that you're all doomed? Very heartwarming, very touching, very tragic and sad. Yeah. Um, Which, I mean, as you know, Lacey, I don't know if the listeners know too much, but I every now and then I want a book that's just going to like pull my heart out, stomp on it, you know, rub it in some dirt and then put it back in my body. (laughs) You know, like I, I really, I really like just absolutely devastating stories from time to time. And that's kind of one of those that like, it's not the road which is devastating in completely different ways. But it was definitely like a tragic story that like really, you know, it hurts. I think what it is, it's the quote unquote romance genre that I'm not super fond of. But romance as elements of a story, even if it's the main element, if it's done right, it's so good. Mm -hmm. So you already mentioned a favorite quote. I have a quote that it's really not my favorite quote, but it's the only one I wrote down. It kind of made me laugh. This is when... Beckett and Tresselaine are, I think it's when they have their first kiss. And uh-huh. and it's not even a quote that they say, but like in the book, it says, Lucas, an old hand at kissing girls. <laughs> 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 it just made me laugh. Like, oh, really? You got some experience there, do you? Oh, you, you dog. dog, you. <laughs> As you started to say that, I was like, oh, my God, is she about to read off this other quote that I wrote down? Oh, no. Which isn't a line that anybody says, but again, it's just a line from the book. And I think this is after they've had their fight and they've kind of made up or something. But it says, she inhaled his familiar masculinity. <laughs> I remember I was like, that part. I mean, I get it. His must. Men smell good. If you're attracted to men, women smell good. If you're attracted to women, you know, like all that. I get that. But I don't know. As a line, it just made me chuckle. <laughs> and I feel like we probably both agree that Lockstone is the favorite character. Oh, yeah. He's the, okay. He is the best. And I want so much more of Lockstone. Again, I would love a Lockstone sequel. I mean, like, <laughs> that guy has franchise material written all over him. Like, no notes. No notes on Lockstone. Love him. He has like a good future moment of self-reflection where he realizes that he's using all the witch powers that he has been mm-hmm. chasing people down for. And then he, he'll have to have that moment of like, am I bad or are they not all bad? They've left nothing but death and destruction in their wake. What have I left in my wake? Yeah. Chasing them. I mean, he has a bit of that too when Morgana and Tresselaine are fighting. 
And he sees like, Mm -hmm. wait, Tresseline has turned on her mistress. She's protecting this man, you know. And I think he he like recalls, he's like, well, you know, my mom gave it up. She turned away, you know, or whatever. He notices that and he mentions, he's like, you know, I've got nothing against you now. I think he says that when he and Hank show up and, and she pops back up out of the book. But like, can he be part of her new coven? Like, can she create a coven of her own? Oh, and he can learn from her, like the good witchery. Yeah. Should we write an email to uh, <laughs> Michael Scott Clifton? Well, we have his card. Well, and the books that he had on the table, some of them were part of series, but I think he said this was a standalone book, right? I think this is standalone, and I also think this is not the norm for him. I think this was like a stretch out of his. I think that was why ah. I, I mentioned in the beginning that he had a little bit of caution when this was the one that we picked out. Yeah. Okay. One of the other ones looked like it was kind of in the vein of like national treasure or something like chasing down clues, solving some secret or something. I'm trying to remember. I mean, ultimately, for a book that, you know, somebody is sitting out at a Comic-Con selling personally, Mm -hmm. I don't know what Mm -hmm. that takes, but I assume that it's lower rung on the published author scale. You're still sort of trying to climb that. I was definitely... Better than other books that we've read. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's funny because there was in the beginning when we were in the other world, I was getting kind of, I don't know if my brain was just wanting to compare it to Worms of Blear Mouth, you know, <laughs> but there is a bit of that too. And in a good way, you know, mm-hmm. just just being like, oh, we're back into this fun. I think that he allowed that the evil of like what they were doing in that time and everything. He wasn't trying to like overload it with too much or anything. It was just like, this is bad shit. And it's gruesome and it's, you know, whatever. And it was fun. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was just, it was fun to read. And I think as we got into the modern world or our world and the romance stuff, my brain was just like, can we go back to the other thing? (laughs) Maybe it's even less that I don't like romance. I think I just don't like our world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that can't be true either because I love the plotters and that happens in, you know, the real world. So I don't know. I don't know, man. So we're going to go one to five ruby red lips. What do you rate this book? Because every (laughs) woman in the book has ruby red lips. lips. (laughs) I know one person in my life who on a pretty frequent basis wears bright red lipstick and that's it. I wouldn't consider ruby to be bright, though. When I think ruby red, I think like a darker red, but still very lush. Okay, then I know nobody who consistently wears ruby red lipstick. I'm a little disturbed by your one to five because lips come in pairs. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) One to five pairs. I was really thinking of like, I wonder how many times it's in the book. Five might be too high. It might be four. Uh. But one to five just feels like a good. Okay, so one to five pairs of ruby red lips. Okay, that's. Yeah, you could do like a partial partial mouth if you wanted well i mean you know contrasted with the gruesome magic that morgana throws around i'm like well you know a single lip could exist (laughs) (laughs) when she's done with you okay one to five pairs of ruby red lips i'll give this book three three pairs it's a solid book i mean there's a lot of stuff that i wish it had more of but it didn't commit any super crazy sins that I'm just like, that that made me mad or anything. Three pairs of ruby red lips from me. I was going to say two and a stiff upper lip to three. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. 
But yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not my favorite that we've read. Mm-hmm. But for what it was trying to be, I think it did well. Yeah. And it had things that were, were I was interested in. Yeah. I really, really liked the white whatever book concept. The book of first magic. Yeah. And the idea that it was like waiting for her. Like there's just mm-hmm. there's potential for so much more stuff underneath all of yeah. it. Well, and I think it was an interesting way of blending kind of some of the fairy tales from our world or mm-hmm. mythology and stuff from old like Irish, Gaelic, Scottish, you know, the little people and the fairy folk kind of marrying that to this concept of like magic coming from another world and how maybe that all comes together into like magic exists and this is how it manifests in different worlds. You know, there's a lot of really cool ways that that could be developed. Well. There you go. That's our take on the Janice Witch. <laughs> I to call it the Anus Witch again. I don't know how easy it is to get a hold of this. I suppose you probably need to go to his website. So mm. if you did read along, I'd kind of be interested to know even where you found it. And then if you're interested in reading this book or more, the author's website is just michaelscottclifton.com. If you did read it, would love to hear feedback, or even if you didn't, if you just have feedback from the episode, uh, you can reach us at librarygamepodcast at gmail.com or the library game on Instagram and Facebook. For next time, read off our RSSB coordinates. Our next book, we are back to our traditional library game method of finding our book with that random RSSB coordinates of 14, 4, 1, and 2. This led us to Perfect Tunes, a novel by Emily Gold. So read up for next time. Or don't. Bye.